Hey everyone, this is Jamie Austin, pastor of Woodlake Church. Thank you so much for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Woodlake, head on over to woodlake.church and enjoy this message. into our series again called Our Father. And if you've been with us, we've been talking through the Lord's Prayer. But if you're new, I wanna kinda give you an overview of this whole thing to help you catch up with the rest of us that have been here for a few weeks. So in Matthew 6, here's what Jesus has to say. He says, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. As I was studying this, that that phrase many words jumped out at me. Okay, I need you to be honest and let's just relax for a minute. How many of you would agree praying out loud in front of people is awkward, at least the first time you do it, okay? It's weird, right? It's awkward. It's like, if I believe in prayer at all anyway, now I'm supposed to do it in front of somebody else, and that's weird. And I've been on all sides of this thing. I actually moved to Tulsa to go to ORU, which everybody give it up for ORU. They're actually with us today. We are educational partners with ORU, and so they have some really great options for people in the church, and so stop by and say hi to them at the end of the lobby before you leave today. But as a student at ORU, I felt like there was this thing where we were trying to impress each other with our many words in prayer meetings. Like we would be surrounded with a bunch of people and you just knew when it went to that one person, they are gonna give you their 20 minute sermon, they're gonna throw an amen at the end and act like they were just praying. It's awkward. So I went to lunch one time with an evangelist and the evangelist was with a group of students from my youth group. We come to pray for the meal and he just did something that I had never seen before. This guy gets paid to preach like all over the world. It's time for dinner, we ask him to pray and he just says, Jesus bless this meal, amen. And we all looked at him kind of weird like, dude, you're on the clock, is that really? Uh, And he said, what, that's how Jesus did it. And so I took that to heart. That following year, I'm a freshman at ORU, I go home for Thanksgiving. And of course, being the one in the family that's in Bible college, everyone looks to me when it's like, hey, it's time to pray for dinner. Well, you can probably guess what I did. It came time for Thanksgiving dinner. I said, Lord Jesus, thank you, bless this meal, amen. I was hangry, we had things to do. So I say amen, I look up, everybody's kind of awkwardly looking at me, and my dad across the table, I promise you I'm not making this up, he goes, you're paying 30 grand a year and that's the best you can come up with? (laughs) Listen, if prayer is awkward for you, you're amongst family this morning. Jesus took time to teach us how to pray because prayer does not come naturally to us. And so if you're here today and you're new to the faith or you have never prayed and you've maybe never prayed out loud because you feel like we're watching you and you're uncomfortable, Prayer is not about everybody else. It is about you connecting with Jesus. And the best thing is Jesus taught us how to do it. And so that's all this series is. It's Jesus teaching us how to pray. Let me read you his prayer. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. That's what we're gonna talk about today as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
If you're new, this prayer teaches us a lot of things. Week one, Pastor Jamie talked about our Father, meaning that God, our Father, has a vantage point that's so much better than ours. He has perspective that we need. In the second week, we talked about how prayer actually prioritizes God's kingdom. And so if you don't have the heart of God, when you start to pray, he'll show you how to live out your life serving him. And last week was an incredible message. If you don't ever watch them back, if you miss, I would encourage you to do that. Pastor Jamie talked about daily bread and the fact that we are supposed to bring our needs to the Lord daily. Now today we're gonna talk about forgiveness. And I'm gonna give you the one idea for the entire sermon right now. Take a picture of it, write it down. I'm just gonna say this a whole lot today. And it's simply this. We access forgiveness through humility. That's all I'm talking about today. And I'm gonna give you some steps to do it, but we access forgiveness through humility. As I was looking up different quotes about forgiveness, I found one by a man named Nicky Gumbel. If you've never heard that name, he has done an incredible work for the Christian world, literally worldwide. He created discipleship programs that are used everywhere. And one day he tweeted about an apology. And I want you to see what he said in his tweet. A good apology has three parts. One, I'm sorry. Two, it's my fault. Three, what can I do to make it right? And then look what he says. But most people forget the third part. Today, I want to talk you through this really simple model that Nikki Gumbel gives for forgiveness and saying sorry, but not just something that he gives. This actually lines up with what Jesus had to say about forgiveness and how to accept it and how to give it. And so the first thing I'm going to read to you today is just a simple verse. It's, we've already read it this morning. Matthew 6, 12. And forgive us our debts. What's Jesus mean about that? And forgive us our debts. Well, if you're taking notes, I'm going to walk you through different steps that we need to take to receive forgiveness. And the first one is so incredibly simple. You might think I don't need to write it down, but just do that. It makes me feel good when I see your hand doing this. Um, so the first one, so simple is this. Confess that you need forgiveness. Quote, we're going to have to say this, I'm sorry. So the first step in getting forgiveness is saying, I'm sorry. Now, before you think this is way too basic, listen to what the Bible has to say. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, it says this, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Okay, here's what's interesting about this passage. For so long, the church has grabbed onto this grace message and we've ignored the fact that there is godly sorrow for sin. Let me challenge you this morning. No one has ever made a change in their life without feeling bad about something first, ever. I know so often in church, we want to just joy our way into forgiveness, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there is godly sorrow for sin. It is not bad to feel bad. It is bad to feel shame. That's different. See, the enemy will make you feel shame for the bad thing that you did and make you feel like you are a bad person. God will bring conviction so that you don't do it again and that you become more like Jesus. And so am I saying that to make you feel bad? I kind of am, honestly. Like, that's the goal this morning. Like, honestly, this message is going to be a win if we all just feel a little terrible before it's over. But we're not going to stop there. 
The first step is to admit that we're sorry to actually feel bad. Okay, married people, you know how this works in real life. There is an eternal difference between me saying I'm sorry to get out of trouble with my wife and me saying I'm sorry because I actually feel like a bad person for the thing that I did. Those are different. There's a big difference between I'm sorry I got caught and I'm sorry I messed up. There is a difference between I know what I did was wrong and I want to appease you with my apology. Today, I want us to lean in to what the Bible says about this godly sorrow for just a few moments and then I'll tell some more jokes and we'll be fine. Romans 6.23 says this about sin. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the problem with approaching sin as death. Too often we approach sin as this thing that will hurt us later. We look at it in the terms of, well, I would really rather go to heaven when I die, so I shouldn't sin now. Now be honest, it's hard to stay motivated by eternity. There are times when we feel invincible. We feel like, you know what, this doesn't matter. I've got a long life to live. And I'm not just talking to young people. We all deal with this at every age. There are moments in life when we feel like this little decision now, yeah, maybe it matters in eternity, but tomorrow is not going to be that much different. Think about it practically for a moment. There's habits in our life that are harder to keep because they have long-term consequences. And the best example, I was wrestling with this all week, the best thing I could think of was flossing. And so I wanna show you a meme that I saw this week. I found this, that there was a ton of memes about flossing. This is one that I saw earlier this week. Okay, it says this. Dentist, when was the last time you flossed your teeth? Me, bro, you were there. Dentist, bro, okay. Now, I don't want you to raise your hands because the people next to you might like turn away for a second, but I think many of us can admit that we floss a little bit more thoroughly the night before we go to the dentist. Well, why is that? Because the short-term consequence of being embarrassed by this person literally working in our mouth is more embarrassing and more heavy than the long-term consequences. If I keep not flossing, I'll have to get dental work done. This is how sin works. Sin makes us think there's no short-term consequences. As I was studying this, I realized that one of the worst consequences isn't just the long-term consequence of death, it's actually the short-term results of sin in our life. There's a passage that talks about what sin does in Isaiah. It says this, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. I like how the ESV says this verse. I'm gonna read it to you again, but I wanna read that translation. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin does not just bring death and eternity, it brings separation between us and the one being in the universe that can actually make things okay. Pastor Brady earlier shared so beautifully about his daughter and the way that he's there for her. Well, when we choose to live in sin and not accept forgiveness, we are unable to reach out to God and experience him in that loving father way that he wants us to experience. And so today, if you're wrestling with a sin in your life and you just haven't really dealt with it because you're like, ah, it's no big deal right now, what are you missing out on in your relationship with a God who loves you because you just have not accepted his forgiveness? Forgiveness is essential 
to every relationship, especially the relationship between us and our Heavenly Father. And so I want to go back to our main idea for today. We access forgiveness through humility. Today, it's going to take some humility to ask God to forgive something that you've been hiding. But when you do, when I do, when we all do, we can receive his forgiveness and find ourselves in better relationship with him than we were when we came in this morning. Okay, so now that we all feel bad, let's move to step two. Step two, confess your specific sin. I'm sorry I, you fill in the blank. Okay, so as I was thinking about this, it is specific confession that will bring specific healing in our life. If we don't get specific with God and maybe even someone else, it's hard for that specific healing to take place. Again, let's go back to the married relationship. With my wife, even when I know I messed up, which is, it happens, it's different when I just tell her I'm sorry than when I get really specific. And I say, I'm sorry that on Friday when we were driving home from date night, I said something I shouldn't have and I was such a jerk and I almost ruined the whole night by that thing I said on the way home on Friday. Just for instance, this literally happened, that's gonna hit different next service when she's sitting there and I can tell her sorry. Anyway, <laughs> that specific confession brings healing. There is something different that happens in our relationship when I say out loud the thing that we all know I should say sorry for. The same thing happens in our faith. When we get specific, it allows us to make things right. In 2 Samuel, David confesses to a sin. Now, David is one of the biggest heroes in the faith, and one of the reasons he is one of our heroes is because he's not perfect. He teaches us how to love God. The Bible says that he's a man after God's own heart. He teaches us that, but David's life also teaches us how to say sorry. In 2 Samuel 24, it says this, but after he had taken the census, which that was not okay to take a census, that was the thing he did wrong, David's conscience began to bother him. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly by taking this census. Please forgive my guilt, Lord, for doing this foolish thing. Practically, being specific about our sin gets us specific accountability and specific help to make it right. And so let me challenge you a little further today. Maybe today you're dealing with some issue in your life and God's working on you already and you're like, okay, God, I got to deal with that. Take it one step further today. Talk to somebody that's going to keep you accountable, that is a safe place. They're not going to beat you up, but they are going to help you get better. One of my safe places name is Pastor Steve. Now, you'll never meet Pastor Steve. You'll never know who Pastor Steve is. Pastor Steve lives in Kansas City, Missouri. He may never be by to even visit our church. But here's what I know about Pastor Steve. I interned with Pastor Steve for the one summer that I didn't intern here. I got a good relationship with him. Pastor Steve is the lead pastor of a church. He loves people very well, and he loves me well. I know that I can call Pastor Steve with anything, but there's two things that are going to happen when I call Pastor Steve. He's going to encourage me, love me, and pray for me, but he's also going to challenge me to make sure that I make it right, whatever I confess to him or talk to him about. You need somebody in your life that's going to do both. 
That's why we have all of the groups that we have. That's why we have brotherhood meeting literally almost every day of the week. That's why we have sisterhood mentoring and sisterhood Bible study. That's why we have the classes that are happening right now. The reason we have all of these growth opportunities is not just to have you have more things to do, it's to get you into relationships with people that will strengthen your relationship with Jesus. We need people in our life that we can admit everything to, but that are not gonna just say, ah, it's no big deal, man, but are gonna actually push us toward getting better. And that brings us to step three. So step one, we say we're sorry. Step two, okay, I'm sorry for whatever I did. Well, step three, this is the big difference in the entire thing. We need to repent, which means make a change. And then this phrase is one of the hardest to say. I will do things differently by fill in the blank. We have to actually do something different. Acts 3.19 says this, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. If you're new to church or new to the Bible, this word repent gets thrown around a lot because it is a really powerful word and there's not really another word that does it. In the original language, here's what that word means. To repent or change one's mind in the New Testament generally refers not simply to changing one's mind, but to turning back to God. So to repent and do what the Bible says doesn't mean just I'm sorry. It means I'm sorry for what I did. I'm getting specific about it and here are the specific changes I'm gonna make in my life as a result. One of the things we love to use here is the Fire Bible. We actually support their ministry which gives Bibles all over the world. Well, the study notes in the Fire Bible itself are great and here's what it says about repentance. It says the basic meaning of repentance is to turn around to make a complete change. Jesus is challenging us. If you want to see different results in your life, you have to do something differently. See, I love prayer, and prayer gives all of the strength of forgiveness in the world. When we pray to God, we are forgiven. The Bible doesn't say that we have to wait a while, he'll figure out if we're actually gonna live right, and if we, that's not what it says. It says that when we come to him, when we accept Jesus, we are forgiven, we're made new, we are set free. But it also says we have to do the work of repentance. The prayer is up to God and his spirit, and he gives us the strength to repent, but we have to take the steps. Now, if you think that's just me being difficult on us, I want you to see what Jesus has to say. In the book of Matthew, they're talking to Jesus about sin, and they're talking to him specifically in this chapter about adultery, and he's going through this entire talk that he's giving, giving them new standards and saying, listen, I know you've heard it this way, but actually in my kingdom, it's even more intense than that. Like there are standards you've got to live to and listen to the st- standard that Jesus gives. He says in Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go in to hell. Now, I've never studied this chapter in different translations before, but this week I looked and I found something really interesting in the New Living, which is one of my favorite to read. It says this in verse 29. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. 
And even if your, if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Okay, this is interesting. Jesus isn't just saying make a sacrifice. He's saying make a sacrifice that's so big that you're gonna live differently as a result. What he's saying by using the word right eye and right hand is that is your dominant hand. Even if it is something that is a core thing to your life, that you will have a different way of doing things afterward, good. Do it if it's gonna keep you from sin. So today as we come to prayer and as you ask God to help you get specific, do not hesitate when he tells you what to do because he will. As we talk to students all the time, we tell them to get extreme. If your phone is causing you to sin because of stuff you look at or because of people you talk to, get a dumb phone. They still make those. Buy a dumb phone. If your friend is causing you to sin, get new friends. And listen, I am not just talking to our students. This is not me talking to the youth and young adults in the room. You never have to be too old for someone in your life to be a bad influence. As Christians, we always feel like, man, I'm gonna be the one to bring them to Jesus. In my experience, if they are bringing you down, it's not like you suddenly are gonna get through to them. Now, I know that feels terrible. I'm not telling you not to pray for them. I'm not telling you don't love them. I'm not telling you to be rude, but I am telling you, the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with, young, with non-believers. When it says that, it's not just talking about dating and marriage relationships. It means that as a believer, I should not hitch myself to someone that's going the wrong direction because nine times out of 10, they're gonna take me with them. So if there's someone in your life that you need to get out of relationship with, I promise you, we have more friends for you here. We'll help you pick one. I know all the cool people. I'm kidding. You're all cool. I'm kidding. That was too much. I'm not saying that next service. I was on a roll. It felt good, but okay. Back it up. When Pastor Jamie leaves after this service, that was the plan all along. He was, anyway. Okay. We will help you find the people that will help you grow in your faith. Now that's going to take humility. I'm gonna say it again, we access forgiveness through humility. It's going to take humility to admit I need to make a change and it's gonna take even more humility to give up something that feels like a core part of your life, but it is worth everything because forgiveness is worth any sacrifice we may have to give. Now, the last part of this verse is the most challenging of all. Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is the toughest part. I love that Jesus says, as we also have forgiven. That means that he's assuming you've already forgiven them and that you took care of that before you started praying. This does not say, Lord, forgive me my debts and give me the strength to forgive others. It doesn't say that. It says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's humbling to ask for forgiveness. It's humbling to admit the thing in your life that you've been struggling with that you never wanted to say out loud. It's humbling to make a big change, but oh man, is it even more humbling to forgive someone, especially someone that we feel doesn't deserve it and never asked for our forgiveness. In verse 14, at the end of this passage, Jesus kind of adds on an addendum to the prayer. So he gives us the prayer, and then at the end, he says, oh, by the way, in verse 14, look what he says. 
For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, if we look at that, we start questioning it. And we start saying, well, does that mean that if I ask for forgiveness from God today, I'm not forgiven until I go forgive others? That's not actually what he means. Translations have had a little trouble with it. Basically, what he means in this passage is if you are forgiven and you are living like a follower of Jesus, you will forgive others. And if you're unable to forgive others, then you might not really be following Jesus. So step four, the hardest one, forgive others. And it's the hardest thing to say, I forgive you. Every week, we've given you quotes from history, and today I'm going to give you two by one of my favorite authors. His name is C.S. Lewis. He's known for writing literature that actually reflected the gospel, but even more than that, he is a theologian and follower of Jesus that gave us some really good tips for life. And look at what he says about forgiveness. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. He actually has another quote that hits a little harder than that. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Man, that's hard. The Bible tells us about this over and over and over. I'm just gonna read you a couple of verses. Ephesians 4 says this, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Colossians says it this way, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. One of our favorite commentaries to use in our message prep here at the church is by a guy named Warren Wearsby, and I want you to see what he has to say about the culture of a forgiving church. Look at what he says. Forgiveness belongs to the matter of fellowship. If I'm not in fellowship with God, I cannot, I cannot pray effectively. But fellowship with my brother helps to determine my fellowship with God. Hence, forgiveness is important to prayer. Here's the reality. Unforgiveness will always hurt us. Forgiveness will always heal us. Both the forgiveness that we receive and the forgiveness that we give. Now, I think it might be easy for us to believe that forgiveness is a gift. We, we can agree with that. If you've, been, if you've struggled with anything and you felt the weight lifted off of God forgiving you, you realize it is a gift. But did you know that God giving us the gift of forgiveness is not a gift to keep to ourselves, it's an experience that we wanna share with others. And so today, I wanna challenge you to take one step toward forgiveness with somebody. So as we pray today, Ask God, is there someone in my life that I need to forgive? And I want you to take a step toward them. Now, I need to give a little bit of a disclaimer. God calling us to be forgiving is not the same as God calling us to be foolish. Those are different. If there is somebody in your life, whether it's an abusive relationship, there's something toxic about it, it would be unsafe or unwise for you to build relationship back with them, don't do it. You can forgive somebody else completely on your own, but I do want you to commit to taking a step. So if for you, it's a great relationship, it's somebody that you work with all the time, it may actually help your spirit to tell them that you forgive them and tell them that you've been holding things or whatever. But here's what the Bible says. If anyone lacks wisdom, all you have to do is ask. So today as we're in prayer, I'm not asking you to make some big display of forgiveness. I'm just asking you to pray and say, God, is there someone I need to forgive? And if there is, can you give me the wisdom of what to do to forgive them? 
Now, as we get ready to close today, I want to read you this verse one last time. I want to highlight one more word in it, and then we're going to be done. Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we close today, I want to talk about debt. It's not just that the Bible says that we should be forgiven and we should give forgiveness. It literally uses the word debt for a reason. In the original language, here's what debt means. It means debt or amount owed. So it means the literal meaning that we would think of with debt. But it also means sin or moral debts. Let's go back to a verse that we read earlier. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God and eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. So when we sin, we build up debt, and that debt is owed through death. Now, before I go into what else the Bible has to say about it, I want you to, for a moment, if you've ever been in debt, remember what that feels like. There is a weight, and I'm talking about literal financial debt. There's a weight that comes with debt. That's why there's so much counseling and so much conversation about getting out of debt. It's not just because of the finances, it's because of what it does to your spirit, your mind, and your soul. And as I was thinking about that word, the story that comes back to my mind every time I even hear the word debt happened to our family in the summer of 2016. In July of 2016, Riley was due to be born, my oldest son. Well, about six weeks earlier, we go to a normal doctor's appointment. I don't know if you've ever been to a normal that then became very not normal doctor's appointment before. Um, we went to this doctor's appointment and the doctor comes in and out and he, it basically goes from, this is a random Tuesday, we're gonna go home, to you need to pack your things and go to the hospital right now. So we go to the hospital. It's a pretty traumatic experience for Wit, for Riley. Um, as he was coming into the world, there were moments where the nurses told us that he was getting a little sleepy, which I knew what that meant. That meant that his heart rate was fluctuating throughout the process. Um, it was tense, just to say the least. Well, after a few days in the hospital, Riley was born. He was born six weeks early and he went right to the NICU. Uh, I think I have a good picture of him in the NICU that I wanna show you guys this morning with his sunglasses on. Um, Riley went right to the NICU and he progressed fast. Like this isn't a story about healing, but it also is a story about healing. Um, Riley got out of there quick. He showed how stubborn he was gonna be right away in his first week of life. Um, so about five, six days later, we got to go home. A little bit after that, Riley got to come out of the NICU. Uh, and I wanna show you just, I don't get to show this picture often, so I wanna show you Riley on his way home. Um, so that's him. And if you see him today, he is like so much taller than that. Um, <laughs> So as we were going through all of that, obviously I wasn't thinking about how much it cost. During those moments in the middle of the night when the doctors are telling you, hey, we need to do what we can, you're not thinking about paying for it. You're just thinking, I would love to come home with everybody alive and healthy here in a few days. Um, so we did, but dads, especially in the room, the finance stuff does hit. <laughs> And we were in, I we had gotten home, everybody was fine, I got to breathe from all of that stuff, and then I'll never forget walking through Bye Bye Baby and it hitting me that like diapers aren't cheap and 
all of the debt that we were in because Whitney had gone to the hospital very early. She was there a long time. We had pretty good insurance, but you know how medical debt works. The insurance sometimes doesn't cover everything, and I didn't know what we were going to do. Um, I knew that the church would take very good care of us. I wasn't worried about that, but it was just that weight of knowing, like, God, how are you going to do this? I know you're going to, but how are you going to? And so I'll never forget. I was by myself and bye-bye baby. I was walking by the strollers when I got a phone call from St. Francis Hospital. The woman asked if I was who I was, and I said, yeah, it's me. And she said, this is your advocate at St. Francis. That word advocate hit. And for six years now, I've remembered that voice of that woman saying, I'm your advocate. And she said, hey, I just want you to know we did some work on your behalf as your advocate, and all of your debts covered, not only from Riley being born, he has insurance now, and you're not going to have to pay anything from when Whitney got into the hospital. And, um, <laughs> and so... As you can tell, six years later, this was like six years ago emotions. It was worse than this. I'm just in, I was tired. Anyway, um, and it hit that that advocate had taken care of all my debt and I could just focus on figuring out how to be a dad. Okay, that's what the Bible's talking about when you feel the weight of sin and Jesus removing the weight of your debt. It tells us in scripture, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God bought you with a high price. It doesn't say that God miraculously meant like, made it like your sin didn't matter. It doesn't say that. It says somebody had to pay the price. Just thank God it's not me and it's not you. In Colossians, it says this. It says you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Today, if you have something you need to get forgiven, I want you to know Jesus already did the hard work. He already went to the cross. So it's up to us to just accept it. It's not like he has to die all over again. He did it for you. So why would you ever not allow that advocate to just make the phone call and tell you, hey, it's taken care of. You just gotta say sorry. <laughs> Today, I wanna to pray with you. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible is very clear. All you have to do is say out loud that he is Lord, believe it in your heart and you will be saved. That means you will in a moment be forgiven. The debt will be wiped away. And the Bible is clear time and time again that once you do that, he will help you to walk out that forgiveness. Man, we've got a lot of stuff to pray about today. If you could, just bow your heads and close your eyes. The first group I want to pray for this morning, maybe you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you had a relationship with him a long time ago, you've lived a lot of life since then, and you just need to be forgiven, maybe for the first time, or the first time in a long time. If that's you today and you want to say yes to the Lord, I want to give you an opportunity to do it. And let me challenge you, don't wait on this. Allow God to change your life today. This isn't just about eternity. It's about eternity here now, heaven coming to earth through you and in you. If you wanna say yes to the Lord this morning, I'm gonna count three and I want you to raise your hands all across this room. One, two, three. I wanna say yes to Jesus today. Go and leave your hands up for a second so I can see you. I wanna pray with you. Awesome, I see you. You guys can put your hands down. If you're praying this prayer online today, please send us a message and let us know so we can pray with you. I see you up there. You can put your hand down. Second group I want to pray for, and there's going to be three of us today, so 
Second group, if you're here this morning and God's dealing with you about some area in your life you need to get forgiveness from, just raise your hand. I'm not even gonna count. If it's you, just raise your hand. There's something God's dealing with you about. Okay, I see you, I see you, I see you. Okay, last group, maybe you this morning felt like there's somebody you need to forgive. Man, this is tough. Just raise your hand. Let that be your step today. I wanna look at you and I wanna pray with you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not gonna make you look around and embarrass anybody, but family, you are not alone today. Would you just repeat after me this morning? Say, dear Jesus, you are the son of God. You died for me, for my sin in my place. Forgive me, make me new. From this day forward, with your help, I'm all yours. In Jesus' name, amen. At Woodlake Church, our passion is to help you connect with God, find your sweet spot in ministry, and grow in your faith. Everyone is welcome at Woodlake. If you've never been to church before in your life, or if you're a lifelong Christian, Woodlake is a place where you can experience real and lasting spiritual growth. Music is upbeat. The messages are straight from God's word. They're very practical. We also have great programs for infants through 12th grade. I mean, we have something for everyone. Come check us out this weekend. I promise you'll be glad you did.